0: All right. Well, uh, Nathan, as as we were mentioning before we started, uh, I, I think my uh, only claim to fame is being one of the last thirteen of the old original, my term, design department mm-hmm. that was uh, per the years of Bucky. I think it was m- organized more under Herb Cohen, Bill Perk here locally, and and on our dome board had a lot of influence on that, and and you know it it was uh, just a fantastic program as one of my colleagues put it, they taught us how to think, and mm-hmm. that's a goosebump moment because it's the truth. They really did teach how to think, mm-hmm. and how to create, and Harold Grissowski and his Innovative and Contemporary Environments course, GSC 205, on, on how, to, how to ideate, to create ideas, mm-hmm. and uh, it, was, uh, it was a program that, that suited me nicely.
1: I, I appreciate the taught to think component of schooling at SIU. So I, I went through the com department at 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 a time where there were you know a number of influential and high quality teachers in the com department. There still are now, but I just you know these folks were particularly influential on me and and I as you say that now it clicks in my mind like what you know i tell folks i went to school so i could you know become a more well-rounded person and pursue and pursue education that way but you know that's that's the fit right they they taught how to think and maybe that's (laughs) the key value to an education anymore these days is not just here's the textbook and learn it but how to think about the actual execution of the work that you're going to do on the other end
0: i think the underlying point we're really getting to is being above mere technical concerns Mm -hmm. which are important that's obviously a part of school and we have to have to learn those in any profession but there there's a I think a higher regard in that thinking component that you can put yourself a thousand feet up try to look at an overall picture and I think Bucky was sort of the master at that I Mm -hmm. think he he paved the way like a lot of the great thinkers of the last few centuries that they could see the overall picture and uh, explain it in a manner that everyone else could understand it, Um, uh, just to close the loop on the initial discussion with the old design department, I call it, uh, in an (laughs) endearing manner, is that uh, the following uh, semester cycle uh, upon my graduation, the design department was absorbed into the art department if I have my history correct.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: No. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, sorry. Sorry. I wasn't sure if there was an additional component. No. To that I... As we were going along, and then the AC kicks on. It's always funny when <laughs> an AC kicks on for the for the first time. It's kind of like, huh? What? <laughs> no problem. Uh, but the um, um, and, and so was was there was there always an initial draw to to Buckminster Fuller having having been in school around the time that his tenure existed? Or I mean, I, I guess what what was his actual timeline? At SIU, because you is that is that part of something that you would have had a good comprehension on having written that book as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, we did research it for the book, uh, and and um, and of course Bucky was here from you know roughly 1960 to around 1972, and and here's a relative term because you know he was a world traveler, world mm-hmm. speaker. He spent a matter of weeks or a few months in the Carbondale area mm-hmm. under Delight Morris's. Uh, i want to say sanctioning he was kind of a world figure mm-hmm. and uh, and has brought a lot of notoriety to siu and carbondale because of that and still does uh so uh so that 10 or 12 years um, it was inf- influential uh he actually produced uh, many of his patents and many of his books and things while living in carbondale nice. and of course Anne hewlett fuller his wife uh, did reside literally, I think, most of the year, most of the time, here in Carbondale.
1: Oh, that's great. That's great. Just kind of have that, have that feel. You know, even <laughs> even though you're 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 all over, God, just spreading the gospel,
0: right? Of, of <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but uh, uh, I'm probably not the Bucky file that a lot of folks think I am. Uh-huh. I. I happened to love geometry, and I think every architect probably should love geometry, but um, I came to Bucky's, I want to say, recognition or admiration uh, because of geometry, frankly. And and then when, you know, you start reading Utopia or Oblivion and the Demaxian world, and I have a synergetic set. Um, and I was like holy cow this is a lot more involved than uh, some of his philosophical musings which are excellent you know and there's somewhat of a parallel and there's a I think a connection with Bucky and Einstein but of course Einstein's so well known for the famous equation Mm -hmm. uh, but that in a way is unfortunate it it overshadows Einstein's philosophy too because he was such a great social thinker like Bucky Mm -hmm. and uh, you know you're you're recognizing, boy, these are people with powerful minds.
1: Ah, I I think that is spot on for the transition here as we talk about powerful minds on the 68th episode of the WTF Carbondale <laughs> podcast, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives and tie it all back to this little old place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois. And Thad Heckman here for this episode may not be the the person to <laughs> to tout his own horn in regards to his own mind, but I mean, you're you're you you, you just in the little bit of work that you've shared with me right it's just cool to get a to get a feel for uh you know the the mind of a of a designer uh that you know again thinks not just in terms of of functionality but in all of the other components that that go into it um you know i I really appreciated just the the piece that you shared with me out of the book in relation to the original sketch that is now um in the library am i getting it right library of congress yeah um, you know, and that is that is not just the technical component to what you do, but is that is the artistic side to it as well. Uh,
0: well, uh, Nathan, if you're asking me about the drawing, it was the uh, called the Hol- it's called the Holland Prize colloquially, as well as uh, uh, as it's sanctioned by the National Park Service, and it was a competition started in two thousand eleven. To document on one single sheet of paper, 24 by 36 inches, uh, a historical building, mm-hmm. and at the time I happened to be working on the preservation drawings for the Bucky Dome, and uh, and I'm not sure if it wasn't Brent Ritzel who incidentally wrote the S A T grant uh, that allowed us to do the phase one structural renovation and and preservation of the dome Mm -hmm. but i think it was brent that actually pointed out the holland prize to me he said thad you ought to consider entering this and i I looked at it and i was like well you know i'm doing the drawing anyway (laughs) and uh so i thought you know i'll just clean it up and you know make it a little nicer organize the sheet and and there's actually a deep personal uh aspect of it i thought you know i'm gonna uh, the, the Library of Congress required the drawing be done in archival quality inks and paper or mm. you could do it on CAD well I'm I call it auto fad. Uh, <laughs> I'm not the AutoCAD <laughs> guy and uh, so I did it old school and drew it by hand but in pen and ink and um, on archival quality media of which I happen to have quite a bit of experience with being a little older mm-hmm. and so uh, with that in mind I decided Uh, Per my wonderful stepfather, now deceased, who was very encouraging and recognized some talent perhaps when I was quite young, about 14, and took me to buy some very nice equipment for drawing, etc including a Leroy said and I have a very nice drafting machine uh, again old school that I still use I use most of this stuff but I got out the archival stuff and I did the drawing using those original equipment from all those years ago when I was young just as a um, I want to say homage to him mm-hmm. and, uh, and I was pleased to tuck a copy of the drawing into his casket right before they closed it but at any rate So, going back to uh, the requirements for the drawing, uh, I thought, well, like I said, I'm already doing it anyway. I cleaned it up. Uh, Definitely a little more tedious process, drawing in pen and ink and that type of thing because of, obviously, it's India ink and you have to be very careful. It's hard to correct mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. But it came off very nicely, and I sent it off, and I forgot all about it because (laughs) I was, you know, like like newspaper journalists probably nathan you guys when you're doing openings for shows and all that stuff deadlines are deadlines and you you tend to focus and you forget about other stuff and well i i truly sincerely forgot about the holland drawing competition and what i'd sent off and i can remember looking at the phone uh, i get a call and it said ellis or lib of cong c-o-n library of congress Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's that's got to be a solicitation. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: they, they want some donations. Yeah, well, or
0: whatever. And I was going to let it ring through voicemail, and it rang. It was on the third ring, which I think I have my voicemail set up. And I thought, you know, that doesn't look right. I better pick that up. Mm-hmm. And it was the uh, the director of the uh, architectural engineering uh, uh, oh, documentation at the Library of Congress, uh, Ford Petrus. And he said, "He said, Dad, I wanted. I'm calling. I wanted to congratulate you. You won the Holland Prize. Now that was the first time the inaugural competition, and uh, you you've won thousand dollars and and uh, some uh, you know some old accolades and that type of thing. Well, I, of course, I was thrilled." And uh, it did take a year and a half to collect on the $1,000, <laughs> FYI. Just n- not a government comment. And uh, <laughs> they actually problem. got mixed up. And uh, But I did eventually get the check, which was donated to the Dome, of course. And it was funny, about six months after that, I got a call again from the National Park Service. Mr. Heckman, we're sorry. We're going to send you your check for the winning the Holland Prize like two years ago or something like mm-hmm. that. And dang it, I was too honest. I should have let them send me another one and give that to the dome. But <laughs> I, I actually fessed up and I was like, guys, you already sent me one. But but at any rate, it was, it was a lot of fun winning the competition. And since then, we have done a uh, what I call a synthetic blueprint or actually a distressed blueprint version that looks like an old job-worn drawing uh, in the old-fashioned blueprint blue reproduction process from the 60s and 70s and or 50s and 60s and I want to give Chris DeShazo a Spectrum Graphics special credit here because she took my original and created the the, uh, Blueprint version and then there was another version created after that in full color that Kelsey Kaufman now Kelsey Jordan also helped on and all of those additions are available on the bucky dome website that's the cheesy solicitation that's portion it. of the interview <laughs> but they are copies different sizes in archival quality uh, inks and papers so uh whoever is watching please go to the website rbf dome nfp and uh, or just type in google bucky dome and and uh, enjoy some of the uh information there on the bucky dome
1: Well, and we've, we've got all the right plugs along the way in, in, in john's conversation we talked about uh you know reopening the dome up for tours and the actual physical component of it so given the given the pitch for the website and some of the components to it and con, you know contributions that you've made along the way i think that's a great fit i love uh you know a, a, again it I, I i feel like after after John's conversation, and, and undoubtedly after the conversation that we're having now, that I've got to expand my circle of friends to include some more architecture, <laughs> some architects, because I didn't realize just how much concern for the concept of of uh, you know communication through physical design that you guys really buy buy into, and how that kind of drives this. And for me, on the on the uh, you know interpersonal social aspect of it. Um, you know, learning from, from my class is the idea of presence of the hand. And you described that perfectly and, and so much more in that presence of the hand for, for you that, has, that is tied directly into your personal story, right? Going back to being a young person, having somebody recognize that talent in you and then nurturing that through and then being a capable enough human being to hang on to all of your tools over the course of the year so that when something meaningful like this presents itself, you tie it all together in a nice, neat little
0: package. It was uh, emotionally a full circle moment, really was. Um, and I and I should mention too, um, I, when I started the intro on uh, I'm was actually fascinated by Bucky's geometry. That was sort of a coincidental statement in in my uh, uh, coming of age in uh, in high school. I uh, really didn't know I wanted to be a designer in fact uh, when I was 5 years old I wanted to be an architect and marine biologist no deference to the Seinfeld episode with where George Costanza almost says the same thing word for word I was like oh great but this was that predates Seinfeld by many years
1: hey it turns out the show about nothing was the show about everything and
2: we just never really Yeah came, right?
0: exactly another coincidence of opposites well at any rate um so um uh I was talking with my counselor in high school whom I sort of despised. I have to admit uh <laughs> uh and that 's another long story that is not uh worthy of this podcast probably <laughs> but i 'll tell you later nathan and uh but at any rate uh it was all uh uh he he said he he pulled out one of those old college reference manual things from s i u and he he pulled open the design department, and there was a picture of Bucky, and, you know, and, and of course, uh, SIU would have certainly uh, promoted all of that back then in mm-hmm. the design department. And I was like, wow, you know, he might be right on this, and signed up, and and glad I did. So I, I come to school, and I can remember the first design course I took was kind of a summary of design uh, by several of the instructors, and... Uh, uh, I think it was uh, John Lonergan. He was actually campus architect for some time. I actually ended up working with for years his son Greg. But it was John introducing some of Bucky's ideas on uh, geodesics. And I had had an epiphany when I was quite young that I didn't realize that the importance of it until mm-hmm. I watched this little film clip of Bucky expa- explaining the icosahedron and the platonic solids and the expansion of the icosahedron into a geodesic, etc. And my epiphany was when I was really, really little, I was raised by my grandparents through those formative years, and I can remember my grandmother, some of my very earliest memories, carrying me in her arm, and we lived out in the middle of nowhere northeast Missouri. (laughs) <laughs> we didn't have running water the whole bit.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We did have power. And um, so we lived pretty close to the earth by today's standards. And there was a large lightning struck um, silver maple in the front yard. And this was one of those 36 inch plus diameter trees that was all rotted and hollowed out inside but still alive. Yeah had a huge black snake that lived in it that we were told never to disturb because for my grandparents that was rat control and mice control (laughs) and and he knew apparently he knew of his privilege because we would sit on the front walk and he would slither down the tree and come right towards us and go under the house and everything was fine he was he was family and um but at any rate my grandmother would carry me under this gigantic silver maple that had been struck by lightning many many years ago and it's one of its principal limbs had long ago split over and was, had formed, healed and scarred over and formed a surprising natural arch of which its far end branches with the leaves were nearly touching the ground. Mm-hmm. It was truly a natural arch and the entrance to our house was right under it. And I used to reach up trying to touch it while she carried me. And I always, in and I used to tell students in a common sense way, people have a good sense of structure, even though they may struggle with the mathematics. Mm -hmm. We all have a good sense of structure, I happen to think. And even in my very young years, I'd look at that tree and wondered, how come that limb didn't break off? It just, that thing should break. (laughs) So fast forward a few years and I'm playing out behind the barn on this old foundation slab that has wood and all cans of rusty nails and stuff. And I had borrowed my grandfather's hammer and i decided i was going to make a window and i looked (laughs) at our old farmhouse this was again very rural Mm -hmm. past rural primitive rural and um, i looked at the window and uh, i found some suitable boards old barn siding boards gray and and laid out two long ones and two short ones on the top and just took a single nail and you know I'm probably about eight and just trying to beat a, beat a nail in each corner to mm-hmm. make a window uh, pretty glamorous stuff you know here <laughs> and um, and of course I tilted up and I was very small I'm, I'm a small man now I was extremely small as as uh, I was growing up but I tilted it up and of course I'd made a parallelogram it just it just would not hold any shape whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, a rhomboid, and then it would be kind of a rectangle, and <laughs> and I, I was completely disgusted with myself because my window wasn't a window at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in sort of a, I, and I remember I was, it was somewhat of a fit. I took the hammer and I popped off one of the short legs at the top, swung the two long pieces together, and just slammed a nail through it. And like I said, sort of just seeing what it would do, and all of a sudden. And of course I'd made a large isosceles triangle mm-hmm. with one nail in each in each of the vertexes. And all of a sudden, and I could remember pulling on it really hard for whatever a smallish eight year old kid can do, and it wouldn't budge a bit. Well nothing had changed and and I remember looking at it and I was like, nothing changed. The nails were the same, the boards were the same, the only thing different was the triangular orientation. And mm-hmm. It's a goosebump moment now. I don't know if that's caught on camera or not. But all of a sudden, I looked at that lightning struck, silver maple. And I thought, that's what's holding that maple together. It's triangles. It's made of triangles. And then I looked straight up at the sun because I realized everything is made of triangles. Fast forward to a freshman in college. Here's a guy, smallish in stature too, by the way, (laughs) pointing out to everyone, Everything is made of triangles, and I said, "You're right. I found that out for myself." That's my link to Bucky, and uh, so it, it, it's less uh, less on all the philosophical thought side of things. It's just, oh wow, I know where you're coming from.
1: It is carnal in nature, like it. It, it just listening to to you, the the feeling that comes through is just how natural that fit is, and. You know, like again, what it, the 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 silly things that I can relate back to, not really having the the mind for design off offhand, is like a, you know, the 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 aerodynamics of a vehicle being that of a fish, understanding that the way that they that one cuts through air is the same one cuts through water, and and how nature just exists, and you're going to gravitate towards it, and you're just going to find it as you go along. That there's nothing that we've done to invent the Principles of physics they just exist and we find them as we come along in life
0: discover them (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and uh, and of course, you know building morphology You know the study of shapes, etc. Is a whole branch of mathematics as well as practical and industrial design So uh, but that that's probably my uh, strongest link to all of uh, Bucky's, and I'm still I still enjoy the geometry uh, very much
1: Well, I love the command over the story as well. And and another thing that we were talking about leading into the podcast was, um, was the pocketbook with notes that also is something that has stuck with you for uh, a very long time since, uh, since childhood. And do those things kind of seem to uh,
0: well each other? Yeah, I forgot you were going to bring that up. Um, (laughs) I usually don't mention that a whole lot, um, here in my shirt pocket. My wife calls, lovingly, calls it my nerd pad. uh, (laughs) I'm not sure how I'm supposed to take that, but that's fine. And uh, I was actually laying on the living room floor at the age of 14 years old because I remember this moment. Like my triangle epiphany, there are certain events that trigger thoughts and I understand uh, it was the only interview Red Skelton, the comedian, and Nathan, you probably don't know who Red Skelton is. I've, I've got
1: an idea. I'm,
2: I've, got, <laughs> or I've Skelton. got an idea. <laughs> he,
0: and he's a funny guy, uh, especially, you know, back then. Excuse me. And um, I was watching, uh, again, my understanding, the only interview Red Skelton did, and he, they asked Mr. Skelton, how do, you keep, how do you come up with your comedic ideas? And he said, oh, I, I always keep a paper and pencil with me, and I write them down, and um, uh, I thought to myself, I was watching that, and you know, you're young, and you have ideas, and I thought, well, that's a really good idea, so I actually started keeping idea notebooks, now, they're not journal, I don't keep a journal, I don't keep a diary, that yeah. kind of thing, it's simply an idea log, and I started doing that at 14, and I still have them all, in fact, and uh, it was around right around the freshman year of college and the Bucky thing and all of that just mentioned that I thought you know I probably ought to date and timestamp stamp these things <laughs> I didn't do that before so uh-huh. they're just kinda all random although I can kinda tell by context how old I am and uh, so I I started date and time stamping and then I kinda formalized that a little more and where I I and I think my wife found them actually started keeping these little notebooks And I've literally got thousands and thousands of entries Uh, and and I've sort of wanted to, it might be a retirement project, to get them all out, make a, 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 a data set you know since i had the time and date stamps from when i was about 19 or 20 yeah. and just you know plot that on you know a graph and okay when do ideas come when do they flow what events in my <laughs> life you know and you know you can start it's like oh you know this it's kind of an interesting perspective yeah. but with that in mind and and there's you know lots of ideas for inventions and things of which there's quite a few of them out there now uh, for better or worse but um it was uh uh it it was a valuable inventory, and I can remember taking um, in college Jack Hayward's religious studies and music and art course. Another absolutely fantastic course with a wonderful instructor. For those out there who know who knew Jack, and uh, and he and I would talk. We became somewhat friends afterwards. And uh, and he was saying, Thad, yeah, he says you ha- you you write those down because you have to get rid of your thoughts took me a few more <laughs> years of maturing to realize he was exactly right. Mm-hmm. It, it, you have to get rid of your thoughts and by doing so and inventorying and writing them down, more are generated and so its it's, it, it's the inventory is a convenience uh, for reference, mm-hmm. but there 's a deeper uh, aspect to it is it frees the subconscious to keep moving and and However that dynamic in our in our brain works i 'm sort of fascinated by it because there is somewhat there's something something's going on while while we think we're processing there's deeper processes i think going on as well
1: i think you're absolutely right and and i, and I think you know the the importance of you know as we discussed at the beginning of this the the uh, learning how to think along the way i mean was was there was there an influence over the process that college had outside of just thinking, oh, well, maybe I should date and timestamp these. But the way that, that the thought process and, and the documentation rolled along is you just kind of got exposed to more ways to think and, and things to think about.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll have to credit the design department and uh, because, again, they, they uh, especially, well, I don't even want to say especially, Harold's course was instrumental, but really all the design courses were just you know, great courses for learning how to create or to ideate as Harold Grasowski used to say. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and there is certainly a link with, with inventorying the ideas because you know, it's like it's okay to free associate and come up with ideas. And, and again, Jack was right, write them down so you can at least free your mind and move on to other things. And, and now I'm at the point in my life Looking at senior years directly ahead and uh, wanting to, oh, wow, would it be a blast to go back and inventory all that on a, on a searchable database, yeah. which is, you know, that's relatively easy to do now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and there are a lot of good ideas, and there are some theme, themes that are years old from actually one of my most important themes from calculus class that I would love to go back and research and bring up. Um, uh, and you know, I want to mention even Jack Elmer, and uh, he, who was a strong proponent of general systems theory, which has sort of gone by the wayside. Perhaps uh, that's okay. But is it it something
1: was, is, is general systems theory about kind of the interconnectivity of everything? Yeah,
0: and yeah, that in in simple terms, that's a good way of putting it, Nathan. Uh, I'm a I think they man might have fan. pushed it a little too. Huh? <laughs>
1: I said I'm a simple man, Thad. I'm a simple man. Uh, well, no. Man.
0: <laughs> well, I don't mean it in an insulting no, fashion, no, for sure. But um, uh, what I was actually getting to is general systems theories. They get a little full of themselves, I think. But it, you know, it's a fantastic idea, and that there are commonalities in all things, and that there might be a mathematical underpinning. Well, you know, there's been a lot of great thinkers have thought of that for many years. Uh, prior to Da Vinci and uh, Plato and everybody else in the ancient Greek world probably but um, uh, but it was definitely college and the design department that um, was responsible or the catalyst for all that is probably the better way to put it
1: that's great No, it's you know the there's just a lot of a lot of inspiration to be had, you know. For for all the grief that higher education gets, anymore these days, and I can understand it as as the whole network of higher education has expanded over time. That still a place like SIU, its value is in that experiential component to education. And just like I was I was talking to uh, uh, Camille Davidson, who's the um, dean of the uh, uh, dean of the the School of Law, um, just for for the for the previous episode, and she was like, you know, talking about. You know, just how the the interaction between the, the students and the community and the actual work and all of these components that, that tie together and how you know it's not just about sitting in a classroom and open a book, close a book, regurgitate some information back and forth, but it's about living life and kind of a controlled environment to help you get your get your wings under you for the first couple of years as you as you kind of find out well what you're what you're calling in your direction in life.
0: Sure yeah you, you know I was a little lucky in that because again, from five years old, I remember wanting to be an architect or a marine biologist. Mm-hmm. I did pursue the one I happened to have a three hundred and thirty gallon reef in my studio, <laughs> just a few feet from my drawing board, and uh, uh, probably a very large shell collection by midwest standards and uh, uh, and my son and I have a strong interest in invertebrate paleontology, of which we have some good fossiling areas in the, in the region. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, uh, it turns out uh, that I tended to follow my early, early muse and, and uh, proud father uh, mentioned as my son went into biology, especially aquatic, more interested in fresh and, and, um, and uh, uh, brackish water than marine Mm -hmm. and my daughter is studying to be an architect so the (laughs) uh, the proud father is they 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 took their dad's different interests and went their own ways
1: i think that speaks to you as a parent speaks to any parent who when their when their children happen to just have dreams that align with their with their parent that where that happens to come from is just the fact that a, a good parent has exposed their child to these things that they love in a way that is uh you know positively related to the rest of their life and they say hey you know what maybe maybe this is a passion that I have too it just kind of all snaps together
0: well I sure wouldn't push a kid in architecture <laughs> because it's not easy and I having taught it for 23 years roughly and in including construction um and you would i i think i would detect students that their parents were kind of imposing oh you need to be an architect and that kind of and it if you don't really want to do it it's not easy to accomplish like i think any of the professions law or medicine or anything you got to really want to do it yeah and uh and then that makes it i don't want to say much easier but somewhat easier
1: (laughs) you know and i guess from a from an from a professor Standpoint. I mean, what is, what is it like to, to have to make an approach on that and, and to, like, just be mindful of somebody who maybe this isn't their calling and just being, I don't know, approachable about the subject with
2: somebody?
0: That's a toughie. You're asking a good question there. Uh, first off, I think, you know, uh, uh, paralleling medicine do no harm. Yeah. And, then, you know, just, you know, I, I, and I actually know a, a colleague who their instructor – absolutely told him you have no business being an architect and uh and so he did it out of spite i think for that (laughs) instructor he he those are some of the best (laughs) (laughs) well i don't know and uh uh but i i I don't think that's a good approach i and i i I enjoy being candid with my students but i i think they have to discover on their own and you have to provide the input and impetus to discover on their own where they're where their direction lies and you know uh, I'm not one to believe it's okay to give everybody an A and that type of thing yeah and, and I, I was told by one of my students like that um, you're 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 a hard grader but you're fair mm-hmm. and I thought well I'm okay with that mm-hmm. uh, because uh, uh, I don't really want for example again in medicine I don't really want my doctor who kind of yeah they let him go it's okay we'll let you go i was like either you know it or you don't know it mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep. but um no i think that's a tough question nathan i don't have a i think that's more of a of a uh, psychological uh, or someone uh, a mental professional to ask <laughs> than a instructor but it is something to be careful with well and and, and
1: it's and it's reasonable to just say you know hey we're you know you you've, you've got to let folks find it on their own that that the process will allow folks to discover, if this isn't the thing for me, it's not the thing for me. Uh, you know,
0: I w- sorry, didn't mean to cut you no, off. Yeah, I, I just sure. remember I almost every class I started uh, after you do your intros and things, I would tell them that I will grade accordingly, but I will not reward incompetence. And yeah. I think that was the best benchmark rule that I could give them. I will not reward you for acting incompetently. Yeah. If you make a mistake, that's fine. Probably good. You learn a lot from mm-hmm. it. But if you're if you're just acting incompetently and wanting rewarded, I'm not going to do that.
1: Well, and I think that's a that's a good jumping off point into just the the professionalism of um, you know the the work that you do now, right? And and probably something that that you've had to just like any good architect would probably have to combat, just like any good site manager uh, you know foreman any sort of somebody that runs a reputable company has to look out and say you know I can't accept for there to be uh, you know incompetent work in this space because of the importance that infrastructure and design plays in the you know existence of everybody in a physical space
0: uh I don't think I have a lot of comment to that agreed yeah (laughs) you you know again you you don't want any of your professionals acting incompetently you know we're all human you're going to make mistakes and things happen uh but having the responsibility to correct them too
1: yeah yeah no and that's you know I, I think that that by itself makes me very excited uh you know just just what you shared with me a a little bit and i'm happy to cut this out if you're like hey i don't want that in the podcast part but just to share it you know working on the design for the multimodal transportation system right and understanding how important that the functionality of of this structure in as much space as it is going to take up and is you know important of a um uh, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for here, uh, uh, a vein or, or a, or a place where people, you know, congregate and exist together, just to, just to know that that mindset is in place going into a project that is going to, you know, define a pretty solid section of this town, uh, for decades to
0: come. Well, uh, thanks. I, Nathan didn't know you were going to bring that up. Um, the, um, um, well, for, I think the 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 best first comment is it's not me; it's a whole team and yeah. the city and 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 I think if anybody thinks they're doing that on their own, they probably ought to sit down and kind of rethink things. <laughs> but um, it uh, it one I enjoy it, and I've really enjoyed working with the city for years. I've done quite a bit of work for the city, in fact, over the years, and. Um, uh, and and the city hired uh, hired me some oh, I guess it was we started in 2013 2014 we started really generating the information 2016 produced a concept design which might you might have been you might have seen out and around oh yeah the, is
1: it the, the one that's kind of got the awning space and yeah
0: that and that that stuff's been around a while and in fact there's a there's a it's directly across the street from here over uh, uh, or that north PK's of us across from lot, PKs. Right? Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, uh, but um, uh, that was fortunate because it provided uh, a good background. However, for, uh, for fairness in the profession, there's various laws, and, and the city did, um, did mandate interviews by whomever firms, and I understand firms from Chicago, St. Louis, et cetera, interviewed, we were very fortunate to uh, to come through that myself and the design team. I'm working with H&B Architects here in town, LLC, and uh, um, I, I think you know I think the home court advantage helped, but uh, it's it's pretty scary going up against you know the, the big firms and all. But back to answering your question is, boy, you know, you take none of that for granted. It takes the entire team effort in the city and community input and that type of thing to put together a project like that. We've had uh, we have a lot of meetings with Amtrak, the various uh, you guys have seen the transit services, buses, Mm -hmm. Jackson County, mass transit, rides, mass transit, et cetera, for the areas. All of those entities and agencies have input. Uh. Uh, and And frankly, it's been an enjoyable process. so uh, it'll be a while, but uh, it is now actively uh, underway.
1: Well, and in, in terms of the time to be investing in something that's directly connected to, to railroad infrastructure, at this point in time in, in you know contemporary American life, right, where we are putting some level of focus on rail infrastructure and an interest in moving people around this country on the ground by rail yeah i I, I, think there's been
0: some amtrak incentives offered uh very recently by the current administration but you know on you know nathan you and i were talking about and you're you're a local i've been here for what would we say 46 47 years you count now you count (laughs) yeah you were yeah you were raised here and and you know the generations and you know and uh before so you've got the history, and um, you know we're all. Uh, we a lot of us remember the dynamic years of of SIU and yeah. and town. And I, I was speaking with Gary Williams quite some time ago, before the well before the holidays. That you know we hopefully we're at the bottom of a trough and starting to come back up. I think the the new multimodal mol, multimodal Sim Southern Illinois multimodal station will be a big help in that regard uh i think now that we're going to be i think post-covid here soon it sounds like that you know that the university as well as businesses will rally and um with the uh transportation becoming more of a focus that you mentioned nathan that you know carbondale will start to gear back up that's sure the hope is
1: well and and again just having folks on the inside of these gary's a good example of it because gary's you know grown up in the area and has and has his own particular uh you know set of of coming of age story in carbondale just like any of us do Mm -hmm. um and and to have somebody like you guys that are working on things and understand the social component to the infrastructure that goes in place right that's that's something that you know i think if people just had a better understanding of the socialized understanding of the infrastructure work that's being put into the town that it would it would put some minds at ease to understand ah we're not just building for the sake of building that we understand that we're building for the sake of people and what that means along the way
0: i think i can assure you on all of the design and the city team and all that is at the heart of it and should be uh, and I think most of the endeavors, you know, you guys are renovating and working on the varsity. Yeah, it's a personal love, good for you. But it's also <laughs> to activate the community. Yeah. And you know, I've got a lot of fond memories of this old theater. I, it was popular when I was in college and the, the old uh, uh, bar stool diner down at the down at downstairs when it was in its heyday and all of that. That was that was those were good years.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, as we were talking beforehand, that's just what I what I like about this project as as the the podcast project, but doing it in a space that is, you know, it's just all about memories. It's all about understanding, you know, the you know, where where we come from, but also kind of charting that that course forward. So it's just, yeah, you know, it's tough days, no doubt. It's nice to have a lot of people here that that understand it, have seen it, have engaged it, but also everybody that's working towards moving our moving our. Uh, our community out, out of it and and into a, and into a better spot. And it's, it's cool. Uh, Gary's, Gary's fed me some, uh, some interviews thus far uh, for the podcast. And it's nice to, to feel like, okay, you know, it's, it's comfortable being able and, and, and having kind of a little bit of a blessing to, to have these conversations and and be comfortable tying all of it together. Uh, Because there's, you know, it's, it's one thing to just read it in the newspaper and be like, oh, okay, this is what's going on. Right, but there's there's a real person behind, or there are real people, as we've said, teams behind these uh, that now you know, even if it's just ten or fifteen people, have a little bit more understanding of just one of the processes of thought that is going into designing this whole this whole facility here.
0: Yeah, I, it's it's uh, it's it's an adventure, we, you know, the and kind of coming back to our initial discussion, uh, segueing from you guys work on the varsity and others in the area. And likewise, the Bucky Dome, yep. which which again, it was uh, in pretty rough shape. And uh, it's now nearly completely done on the interior. Um, and of course, the exterior was done a few years ago. The phase one, phase two is the interior uh, preservation, which is, I'm gonna give it 97 plus percent done. And it looks fantastic. Yeah. It really, the Ed Cook was the contractor. He's another one, Nathan, to put on your interview list. Yeah. Uh, yeah allow three hours. <laughs> and uh and uh, great guy but his heart was in it and did a really good job uh, with a good board and you know you you know members of the board like judy and and uh, uh bill perk and etc larry weatherford another long-standing local his with his old sign company and uh and it's it's been worth the effort
1: what um uh, what was your initial exposure to the project or the, or the opportunity to be a, to be a contributor to, uh, the, the dome home restoration. You
0: know, there's a little history with that come to think of it. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. I actually did, um, I was asked by, who was it? I do not remember. Might've been Bill Perk as a board member on the dome, but I'm not, just not sure, Nathan. Uh, but back in, I want to say early, early 2000s, uh, might have been 2001 or two Uh, it's in the city records but I was asked to do a brief uh, outline I don't even want to call it a study Mm -hmm. on the condition of the Bucky Dome for the city I did so uh, I think at that time Cornelius Crane everyone knew him as Corny Mm -hmm. became or was the president of the dome organization at that time uh, and there was uh, a solicitation to select a preservation architect, of which uh, I know my proposal was, was probably not quite as expensive, but <laughs> I was not selected, which mm-hmm. is fine, uh, you know, some disappointment, but I had a young, new business and I was busy. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I kind of dropped off the uh, scene regarding the Bucky stuff And then I think around 2003 uh, Brent Ritzel became president and he asked if I would return back to working on the dome so to answer your question succinctly it was Brent Ritzel's request direct to me because I remember when he asked me uh Thad would you come back we'd like to have you do the preservation work I don't know what the history was prior to that or why the change but I was I was flattered and, and glad to accept um, and since then every moment of my professional time excluding even all the donation time but all, all the professional time was, was uh, donated uh, and I was glad I did it It, it you know like probably this building I don't know if you guys get donation for services or things on this but we'd like to see the varsity come back like it was originally too of course. But, um, uh, and in fact, we used the professional time uh, when Brent acquired, or when the Dome organization acquired uh, the Save America's Treasures Grant Mm -hmm. that Brent uh, wrote the grant for, we used a lot of the professional time that I donated, had to be documented, obviously, for the National Park Service, as the matching grant credit. That was a $125,000 grant, so, uh, we used that as well as some other services uh, local folks provided to uh, to match in dollar amount the 125K mm-hmm. from the National Park Service uh, Preservation Save America Treasures grant. So it worked out really well, and frankly, it saved the dome because had yeah. that grant not been written and, you know, we had the, – the dome was – well, not an exaggeration, collapsing on one of its components, one of the hexes was literally starting to cave in and was propped up by a, a uh, notable 6x6 six six that we all think fondly of, and if you weren't <laughs> watching carefully when you walked through, you'd bump your head on it, but uh, those days are over, the dome is safe, and Nathan, you it should be in good condition for... Uh, well into the next uh, generation that you will command.
1: I, I think I think that it's a, I, I mean, it, it it just it speaks so much to the character of of this physical space, and it's it's the type of thing that requires there to be about a dozen people that just care to put the effort forward and into it. I mean, like you said, the same the same deal here, right? It takes just about it just, yeah. a dozen people that really care, that have all sorts of different sets of skills that they can just push it on with.
0: Yeah, it uh um I and and I I'm gonna kinda mention the book that Carrie O'Dell and I wrote regarding the history of the dome. I would strongly advocate for anybody wanting to do a preservation project to write a book about the preserve or the, the the building you're preserving because not only uh, did we get people coming out of the woodwork mm-hmm. with knowledge of the history and old photos and thing, you know, from all over, as far away as Bali and Southeast Asia to uh, you know, across the street, we really found out a lot of valuable historic data that all of us, we, we, we thought we knew early on, and we were just flat out wrong. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, my gosh, here's the picture <laughs> of that light fixture that we assumed kind of looked like this, but nobody really knew, and, mm-hmm. and, and the flooring materials and things like that, that we thought we knew what they were, and, and we were just wrong. And uh, so we were, we were fortunate with serendipity that Carrie and I wrote the book and I, I'm going to go ahead and mention because yeah, again, Kerry yeah. C- is principal author. But I g- actually what started it is I gave him a tour of the dome. He's he's local from, um, and his brother is actually Les Odell here in town. And uh, so I was giving giving Kerry a tour of the dome, and he when we were near finished, he said, "Dad, why don't why don't you write a book about the dome?" And I said, <laughs> "Oh, good gosh, Kerry, I don't have time for that." Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and I turned to, turned to him and I said, Well, Carrie, why don't you write one? You have a couple of books. He has an autobiot- autobiography, I mean a biography, of, um, of Virginia Marmaduke, which mm-hmm. is, you're in theater, you've got to know Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, Nathan. And she's quite a character in herself. And um, he did uh, another couple of books, History of uh, Women in TV. I'm sorry, I don't know the title as well as another one. I said, "Well, Kerry, why don't you write a book?" So Mm -hmm. about two weeks later, Kerry calls me. He says, "You know what, Thad? I was thinking about that. Would you consider writing a book on the Bucky Dome?" And uh, and and fortunately, especially with timeline and and my profession, he was willing to be a, a, a principal author. But it turned out it took a whole lot more time than I anticipated on my end too and i enjoyed every bit of it and uh plus with carrie having access as an employee at the library of congress you can't beat that for uh resource yeah <laughs> so I, would, I would say so, that, the, so I would anyway say so. it worked out quite well and <laughs> and uh and and uh, uh it was published right in the middle of covid of course uh, uh unknowingly on uh, march 31st of uh last year and so uh I was just at Barnes & Noble on Thursday asking the manager. We were planning a book signing for April 4th of last year, of which COVID obviously prevented yep. that. So I just happened to stop by last Thursday and ask Amber, the manager over at Barnes & Noble, if, Barnes, if the corporation of Barnes & Noble is going to free up. Uh, to do book signings and things like that, which we think will be soon. So hopefully awesome. you'll see in the news that we, Kerry will come up from, he lives in the Culpeper, Virginia, Washington, D.C. area, that he'll come up and we will have a real book signing. <laughs> Looking forward guys, to it.
1: You guys deserve it. Carrie's done a great job out there pushing the pushing the the website everything on, yeah, on social media sure he's has. using all the he's using all the Carbondale Facebook groups <laughs> yep. it he's I'm them. sure he's in every geodesic dome Facebook group there and is and we need Zeta. it
0: yeah and he like and he's good at it and we need the uh, ex- in fact I think our hit our our uh, membership on the Facebook page is up like 1200 or something now and, mm-hmm. and it, it's been the, the pages existed I think for years but with Kerry's uh, initiative, holy cow, we're getting, you know, a lot more uh, joining. In, and again, kudos to him.
1: Well, and, and it's one of those things that at some point in time, as the, as the project continues to tie together, there's going to be a couple people that, that write in influential ways for larger publications that are going to take note. And all of a sudden, it's probably just going to get picked up and then... You know, brought to the next level in terms of uh, you know just notoriety and and visibility of the of the project because you guys, you guys said you're still working on the um, the, uh, the the Ground. specification as a as a historical.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was just thinking about a moment ago. It's like I sent an email off. Um, we wrote well. Th- there's a specific specific set of requirements for the obtaining the national historic landmark status, and uh, that was initiated. I I sent off some information and re- actually a request to start the process. Uh, to speaking speaking in their terms, uh, I want to say it was last, oh, late fall, November, something like that, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, now that you brought it up, I w- literally was just thinking a while ago when you and I were chatting before uh, we started rolling that uh, I haven't heard from them, <laughs> and it's sort of, sort of disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I need to follow up again because we're trying to get that going. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah. Hey, step step. And by it step. it
0: will. We'll. I think we'll. I mean, who's gonna say no to the Bucky Dome? That's, yeah. that's a. That's a that's you know nationally known anyway yep
1: it's it is the it is the real deal it is the Uh, deal and we so was the was the book one of your first runs at it authoring as then or is this uh
0: no it was and you know that's what when carrie called and asked i really wanted to do it i wish i could have been you know more involved in a lot of the original authorship but i just one couldn't afford the time professionally and and i wanted to do it as a dry run to learn about how to publish a book. Yeah. I mean, what a great to have a guy that's done it at least three times, to you know, show you the ropes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, that was that was great, and and it actually it's a little bit of a confidence builder too. That you know, it, it's it. I can remember uh, when I was in college and I'd mentioned Jack Hayward. He was the uh, director of uh, the religious studies department back in my day in college and he he was talking about the day he was telling us one day about uh when he held his child for the first time upon being born and he had the same feeling when he held his first book <laughs> so and and I was like wow you know and I th- I can, and obviously that 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 uh hit a note with me because I can still remember you know 40 some odd years later and so I can remember you know I I was one I was sort of surprised that you don't get very many free copies. Mm-hmm. And then you get the lecture from the publisher and it's like, don't give books away. We're trying to sell them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I get that. okay, it's still a business. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, okay, okay guys. you know, and uh, so, We get like six copies or something like, and I'm thinking, is that all? And I can remember a Stephen King interview, and I was looking in the background at his bookshelf while they were interviewing Stephen King, you know, big time, famous author. And there's all these same copies of the book. I mean, he's got like, you know, 50 of them he can give out. So we get six. Really? <laughs>
1: hey, that all? Stephen King's only getting fifty free copies to <laughs> well, give out, right? I, don't I think know. that says more positively about you guys than anything. Like, wow, Stephen King gets fifty, and we well, still
0: get six. No. He probably paid for them. I don't know, That's fair. but. But and I might have misspoke. We might have got a dozen. I can't remember if Carrie and I each got twelve or we got twelve total and we had to split. <laughs> I don't split. remember now. The point being, who cares? It was disappointing. Is that all we get? Right. Really, after all this, <laughs> we we get to buy them at a discount. Okay, well that helps. You co-
1: cover the printing costs. Yeah, did, did I, um, yeah,
0: exactly. I'm sure that's it. By the did,
1: way, and you said you ended up sending one uh, uh, to London or where? Where was that gentleman's? Oh, firm? it was.
0: Well, on a lark, I, uh, I sent, I, I was aware from my readings of Bucky, again back in college, when I did most of my Bucky reading, uh, I was aware that he had collaborated with Norman Foster, who's one of the premier architects in the world right now. He's probably in his low 80s at the, at right now. And uh, so Carrie and I, were, you know, we're, we're working on the, the dome tome, as I like to call it, <laughs> and, um, and it hit me. I was like, you know, I wonder if Lord Foster, even though he's, I'm certainly world-class busy and yeah. being one of the most famous architects in the world, uh, some examples of his work, uh, an easy example, is the uh, Apple Campus uh, in oh, Southern wow. California, uh-huh. enough said. So, just on a lark, I fired off an email to Foster Plus Partners, who is in London, and and then promptly forgot about that too and and that's it man
1: that's what the deadlines do to you you know send it forget it if it comes back to you great if it doesn't next project throw it out
0: there if you get a bite try to reel it in otherwise don't worry about it and i'll be i'll be darned about two weeks later i get a bite i i got an email from and i don't remember the name it was kind of unusual kind of english sounding but a very very polite email informing me that he is to be addressed Lord Foster and I was like oh okay I'll try <laughs> to remember that <laughs> <laughs> and he's very interested in writing the introduction to your book on uh, the history of Bucky's dome and I was like holy cow I, and I truly you know I didn't expect to hear anything you know you just throw it out and you see what happens and by golly and um so we I in, exchanged a few emails back and forth with uh london and lord foster and uh he, he w- he'd asked well what do you want and what and i you know just something personal from you i i don't i'm not going to tell you what to write that's <laughs> yeah, your you know. lord foster man. Yeah. it's not for me to tell you <laughs> yeah. what to write. you tell us and he wrote <laughs> and it you know and i'm thrilled with the i truly am thrilled with it and i i i actually you know i i, I sort of um humbling but i i made copies of all of our uh preservation drawings, which are old school, they're hand-drawn, hence the Holland Prize we yeah. mentioned earlier. And, um, and I made copies of the Phase 1, Phase 2, and Phase 3 drawings complete, uh, you know, a nice set, rolled them up, I made digital copies and sent those to him. I sent him a signed uh, large sheet of the Holland Prize. And uh, just rolled up, and it was, by the way, way more expensive shipping that to London than I guessed. <laughs> but that's okay. And uh, and uh, I you mean, got the a,
1: Lord doesn't get free shipping over apparently, here. That's...
0: Apparently, apparently, the, across the pond uh, doesn't matter a whole lot. But at any <laughs> rate, so and and I got a very nice letter back that I I truly appreciated. I, had yeah. I, and in fact, and he has requested, and I do, and I owe him an email now. In fact, to keep him updated on our progress, and of course, you might have seen Nathan. Been a few months ago now that the Fuller family donated, yep. you know, a large amount of of Bucky's original archives that used to be in the dome, and I we're absolutely said John
1: said something like thirty-five hundred pieces of
0: books, and then a lot of the furnishings, and and we're thrilled, absolutely thrilled to get them, and they're home now. They're back to where they were, and and. Um, excuse me and um i do want to update lord foster on all that acquisition and and uh the newspaper articles and that type of thing which i need to do soon but again excuse me <clears throat> been pretty busy but uh that was uh that was uh again on a lark surprising uh outcome and really uh really uh rewarding for our book
2: yeah
1: no and that uh You know is is a another you're spot on with the transition points because this has been a rewarding conversation for episode 68 of the wtf carbondale podcast um i hope that it has been as rewarding for you as it has been for me to get here and, and just pick it a little bit more of uh the the bucky dome history uh and another interesting person here in carbondale in thad heckman not hackman Share that little Not bit like of Gene. commiseration over Heckman, Hackman, Columbo, Columbo. And uh, sometimes you just meet people that also have name things going on. It's fun how that works out. Uh, and have a good one, folks, whatever that one may be.
0: Thank you, Nathan.